because that would be that would explain a lot, I guess. Um, so we're going to be in Ro- uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter twelve today as we continue to uh, discuss. As we continue to discuss uh, transformation, um, and we're going to be discussing those three verses that we talked about uh, last week, where he he lay where Paul kind of lays out his idea of, of of the why and the what of of transformation. Sorry, I'm trying to make this one of the the sixty percent of times that my uh, there we go. So. Uh, we're looking at the, this passage here, so um, where he kind of lays out the what and the why of, uh, of transformation for us as uh, followers of Jesus. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing, and perfect will. So this is a, a thesis statement. This is the what and the why of transformation. As we talk about being transformed as individuals and as a congregation, this is the what and the why. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can discern the will of God. And last week we talked about, about making our bodies a living sacrifice, that this, that this bag of meat and electricity matters because God has asked for it to be sacrificed to him in a living manner. But this is what I want to talk about today. I want to move on to the next spot where it's talking about true and proper worship. Now, this is a a difficult thing because we're all church folk and we all understand worship, kind of. We know that this is what we've gathered here to do. And, And if you've been around church for any length of time over the last couple of decades, you have heard the term Worship Wars, where, where reams of, of PhD dissertations and blog posts and articles have been written on what is true and proper worship. And it's a worthwhile question to ask, because the implication in the statement that, that, that Paul makes, that this is your true and po- proper worship, implies that there is untrue and improper worship. So this matters. It we are not people who believe that you can do whatever you want willy-nilly and, and, and worship and in giving yourself over to the Lord, and, and it doesn't matter. We do think that it matters. We don't believe that we believe that who you're worshiping matters, and we believe that how you're worshiping matters. We're not uh, like the uh, Atheist United Church in Toronto recently that just uh, decided that uh, their their pastor uh, became an atheist or always was an atheist, and uh, they decided that they were going to continue going as a church, even though uh, their pastor was, was an atheist, uh, because it didn't really matter. And then the United Church just agreed with them. So, you know, that's a thing. Uh, I give you permission to fire me if I become an atheist, like you should. I should have the dignity to at least step down, like I should like at least, but you know, have the the, the worthwhile uh, fortitude to step down from my position if I no longer believe the thing that my position is supposed to profess, but you know, uh, some people care about their uh, pensions more than they care about their integrity. Um, yeah, uh, so, but, 
So the so it does matter what we do, you know, and. and so it does, so when he says so when Paul says that we have a true and proper worship, what is he talking about? And we're going to work backwards because in this statement, we don't have to guess at what our true and proper worship is. Our true and proper worship is offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. But I think it's a worthwhile question for us to work backwards and ask the question: What makes offering our bodies as a living sacrifice to God true worship? Why is that the thing that's important? What makes offering our bodies as a living sacrifice to God proper worship? What is it about this activity that makes that true and proper worship? Because we want to get this right. Worship is at the core of who we are as human beings. So we want to have decent answers for these questions. If we're going to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, it behooves us to ask ourselves these questions. Why is this true? Why is this proper? And why does this make a difference? And the reason why this is important for, 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 uh, at its basis is that all human beings are worshipers. Okay? That's the, the, the starting point that we're going to, to have, is that, is that human beings are worshiping animals. We as a species worship, and we either worship things that, are, uh, that, that are, are true and valuable, or we worship things that are not, but all of us worship. Uh, Paul David Tripp, he's a, a, a pastor and thinker, writes this, human beings are by their very nature worshipers. Worship is not something that we do. It defines who we are. You cannot divide human beings into those who worship and those who don't. Everyone worships. It's just a matter of what or whom we serve. And this is fascinating. We worship. There is something that takes that place in our lives. And I know lots of people would argue with me about that. I have lots of friends that would be like, I don't worship anything. And I would argue that, yes, you do. It might be yourself. It might be uh, a sports team, it might be your family, it might be the state, it might be celebrity, it might be the approval of other people, but there is something that we worship. And we can figure out what people worship by the nature of what do they spend most of their time and their money doing, right? The biggest worshiping, uh, like I could make a very coherent argument that the largest church, the largest object of worship in the city of Edmonton is the Edmonton Oilers, right? We all tithed from our taxes to build them a giant cathedral in downtown Edmonton where 15 to 18 to 20,000 of us will gather 48 times a year plus playoffs if such a thing ever exists now and in the future, you know, where we will gather to worship them. And a certain number of people go above and beyond, where they pay even more than their taxes, but also pay from their own pockets for tickets, right? They, some lay out season tickets. And, and, then, and then not only that, we indoctrinate our children into the way of the Oilers, that it's like, you will follow this team and not that team. This team is good, that team is bad, right? This is a... The, 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 the function of that is exactly the same. And not only that, we also have like a history and lore of like we have the old heroes of the past and now we have the current incarnation where the hierarchy is very self-serving and does not care about its constituents or congregants in any way. Um, 
a hierarchy that is is at best incompetent and at worst uh, indifferent. You know that this is the, the that that it functions as an object of worship for the people of Edmonton. This is what G.K. Beale wrote. He wrote a really amazing book called We Become What We Worship, and it was a study of the Old Testament, but also of contemporary culture in light of that. But his whole thesis statement was this, was that people, what people revere, they resemble either for ruin or restoration. That, that what we worship, be, we become like our object of worship. So he continues, people will always reflect something, whether it be God's character or some feature of the world. If people are committed to God and in, in, in his true form, they will become like him. If they are committed to something other than God, they will become like that thing, always spiritually inanimate and empty uh, like the lifeless and vain aspect of the creation to which they have committed themselves. So this is a really important thing. If we chase celebrity or the approval of the masses, then we're going to become as empty and as fickle as the approval of the masses. If we chase money and power, we're going to become as, 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 as all-consuming and hungry and disregarding of human beings as money and power is. If we worship the government or the state or a political system, then we are going to become as fickle and as empty as that political system is. And this matters. You know, the, there's a, a thinker named Nassim Taleb, who I appreciate some of the things he says, but, uh, but he, he looked at... The, uh, he mo- moving in a lot of atheist circles, he looked at Nietzsche's famous quote, uh, religion is the opiate of the people. And he said, yes, but there are worse things than opiates. And if we worship state, then, 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 then statism or nationalism is perhaps the crystal meth of the people, which is incredibly more destructive than opiates. That, that celebrity is the cannabis of the people. It's, it's relatively sedative, a, a, a relatively minor sedative, but it distracts us and it, and it prevents us from doing what we've been called to accomplish. We become like what we worship. So what true worship is and does in us matters. So what then makes worship true? What then makes offering our bodies as living sacrifices to God true? What makes that true as opposed to offering our bodies or offering something else to to something else, to offering that to celebrity or to hockey or to the Oilers or to to a, a, a political party? What makes this worship true? And I think that God lays out his argument for why worshiping him is true in a couple of places very specifically. This is from the Ten Commandments. Many of you are familiar with this. Most of you would be. This is from the Ten Commandments. First commandment is, uh, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship uh, them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So God's argument for why you should worship him alone is that he is your God, the God who brought you out of slavery. 
God is making his claim here. He's like, don't worship Baal. Baal didn't bring you out of slavery. Don't worship Ashtoreth. Ashtoreth didn't bring you out of slavery. Don't worship the Oilers. The Oilers didn't bring you out of slavery. Don't worship money. Money isn't going to save you. Don't worship a political party. A political party isn't going to save you. The Lord your God brought you out of slavery. God is the one who saves. And he's not content to share that place in our hearts and in our souls with things that do not and have not saved us. It's really important. Is the thing that we are trusting our worship to capable of saving us? Is it capable of setting us free? And the reality is when we look at most of the things that we worship in our society, they are not. They enslave us more. They keep us tied to old habits and old ways of being and old patterns of behavior that continue to be coercive for us. God's not content to allow those to exist in our hearts. He doesn't want to occupy or share space with things that do not save us. So God's argument is that, is that it's true worship because he is the one who is, continues to save us. You repeat... Paul expands on this idea in Romans uh, chapter 1 when he is outlining the reality of the human condition and how we ended up in the place that we were. And he says this, for although they, and he's talking about our ancestors and us, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Paul's argument is that not only does God save, God is unchanging and immortal and therefore uh, deserving of our worship. Anything else that we would worship, be it state, be it money, be it power, be it ourselves, be it our family, be it anything else, is temporary. So why on earth would we give our worship and our devotion to things that do not last? If you give your worship and your devotion to the Liberal Party of Canada, the Liberal Party of Canada will not exist at some point. If you give your worship and your devotion to yourself, you will not exist at some point. You will, all of us, pass. If you give your worship and your adoration to the NHL hockey team in our city, they will someday not exist. God exists forever and is immortal, and Paul is saying that, that, that we ought to worship what is real and what is permanent rather than what is fleeting. So what makes offering our bodies as a living sacrifice to God true worship? It's true worship because it's a gift to the God who created us and is saving us. Because God is immortal and unchanging. Because God is saving us and working for our benefit. That he is deserving of all that we can offer back to him. And nothing else is de deserving of that. Not you, not your family, not your money, not your career, not your political party, not anything else is deserving of all that you can offer. Only God is worth that. Only God is going to, is going to fill you with joy because of the offering that you make to him. So then what makes offering our bodies as a living sacrifice to God proper worship? And I think that this is interesting because, because 
there is so much discussion about what is and is not proper worship, and so many ways to get distracted about what is and is not proper worship, and so many ways to argue about it. And we get distracted by, by dumb things like, is this, is this like, instrument a proper worshipful instrument? I, got, I grew up in a church that said drums were bad right? That, that you couldn't worship God with drums, even though it's specifically mentioned in the Bible. Like, that is, like, we just skipped over that part. We were biblical literalists, but except where it was inconvenient. And uh, so you couldn't worship God with drums, was what they said. But that is so, such a ridiculous idea. And the, or, 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 or somebody that says, well, you can worship God with this song, but not this song. And you can worship God with songs that were written over 75 years ago, but you can't worship God with a song that's been written in the last 15 years. And you can worship God with songs that have this number of personal pronouns, but you can't worship God with songs that have this number of personal pronouns. Just absolute nonsense in terms of discussing what is proper worship. But as we get down to it, proper worship ends up being what has God asked for. And we see this in Genesis chapter 4 in the story of Cain and Abel. Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Now, this is a very frustrating part, and we could spend decades just invested in this story, and I would love to spend hours and hours and hours just talking through this story. What I find so fascinating about this is that the basic question that Cain is asking and why he's upset is, why isn't what I have brought good enough? Why can't you just take what I'm willing to give? And what God says to him is a relatively simple, yet yet frustrating answer. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will it not be accepted? Uh, will, sorry, if you, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. What God says to Cain is, I don't want that, I want this. So bring me what I've asked for, not what you think that you should be bringing me. God is God, God gets to decide what is proper worship, not us. So we decide that we want to give God our vegetables. We decide that we want to give God our leftovers. We decide that we want to give God the things that we have finished with and no longer want in our house. Therefore, we will bring them to the church because maybe the church will have use for them. God says, no, we don't want that. God wants what is first. God wants what is best. God wants what is primary in our hearts. And he will not settle for less. So we do not get to decide what, what offer is good enough for God. Because God, sorry, God asks for what he wants because, and, and he deserves it because it's what he asks for. He's God. He wants what he wants. And what he wants is you. This is what's interesting. God no longer wants the fat of animals or the blood of goats or the blood of, uh, uh, of animals. 
our true and our proper worship is to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. And God says that he wants you. So when we say to God, but I don't really want to give myself, I'd rather give my money. I don't want to give myself, I'd rather give my leftover Christmas decorations. I don't want to give myself, I would rather give something else. I would rather give my children. Why can't I do that? God says, no, I want you. And sin is crouching at your door. You must master it because God has decided that this is what he wants. This is our proper worship. Proper worship is giving all of ourselves over to God. We have value. This is our true and our proper worship. And this is frustrating because we do live in a world that encourages us to worship any number of things that are not God. We live in a world where it is difficult to worship in a, in a, worship in a way that is true and what is proper. But it's not because we have been left without an answer for what is true and what is proper. We've been left with an answer for what is true and proper that is difficult. It's hard. It's hard to sift through all of the things that are clamoring for our attention that do not deserve that and say, no, I'm going to focus on giving myself entirely over to God. It's difficult to say, well, to, 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 to argue with ourselves and all of the parts of ourselves that we try to keep back and say, well, I'll give this God this part of my life. I'll give God Sunday mornings. I'll give him a little bit more here. I'll give him a little bit more there. But in the negotiations, I'm going to hold back this part of myself that I want to hold on to. I'm going to hold back on my money. I'm going to hold back on most of my time. I'm going to hold back on my, my, my relationships or my relationships to money, power, sexuality. I'm going to hold all those back here because I don't want you to have those. That's a easy trap for all of us to fall into. But we have been told very specifically that it is offering all of us and all of our bodies and all of who we are as a living sacrifice that is our true and our proper worship to the God who created and is saving us. So now the question that we are aware of this is, are we going to submit to it? We find no clearer example of submission in this than at the cross where Jesus submitted and gave all of himself over because it was what God commanded. Even as he in his own, is there any other way for this to be done? I that, even as he asked that this cup would pass from him, even as he asked all of those things and negotiated and, and in his heart and his mind, he was entirely submitted to offering all of himself as a sacrifice to God and on our behalf. So are we willing to do that as well? And as we come to this table, I would ask you, what are you still holding on to? I would ask that we would prayerfully consider what are we, what are we keeping hold of that is preventing us from engaging in this true and proper worship that is called for? What other things have gotten our allegiance other than the one true God? And what things are we holding back from the one true God that we are attempting to keep under our own control? So as we come to this table, I would like us to, to spend some time in prayer thinking on those things together. We'll spend some moments in silence. <laughs>